my name's Anthony. So I grew up in church, um, and I, when I left home at 18, um, I went into the military and I pursued pretty much everything that the world uh, could offer me. Um, I lied, I cheated, I stole, pretty much did everything that, that God didn't want me to do. I found myself in prison uh, several times. Basically, uh, knew who God was, but ran the other way. I got married, um, and it was really in that marriage that I came face to face with the reality of really who I was and what I'd become. The world seems to want to confuse young men uh, about what a real relationship is. Pornography, all of the, the, the sexual sins that are out there, the world's just going to continue to pull men down into uh, that bondage. And, and the more bondage that I created in my life, the less relationship that's had. The process took about seven months, and it got really, really bad there towards the end. I ended up at a discipleship uh, in Elma, Washington. That's really where I surrendered. I had the knowledge, or I had the under, you know, the introduction to who Christ was and what He had done for me, but. My grasp on what sin really was, um, and the price that 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 had, uh, really eluded me for for many many years. That night that I got to the discipleship, and um, I went downstairs into the chapel, and, and I knelt down at the altar, and it really became real. I know that it did because I can look at what's happened over the last 16 months. Uh, the differences not only in myself, but also uh, in the way I interact with others. I um, was at a True Grace um, church service and learned about forgiveness and what that really was, uh, not just me being forgiven, but also forgiving others. So my future is uh, optimistic. I struggle every day. Um, that, that sin in my life is still there, and I try to focus it on on God and, and what He can do in my life. He's faithful every time to um, just provide me with what I need to resist, uh, to get away from, to run the other way, whatever it takes. It's, it's been hard, but it's also been worth it. And I wouldn't give it back for, for anything. Good morning, church. Wow, what a great story. Thanks, Anthony, for sharing that. You're going to see that that actually is very reflective of uh, what we have uh, with the rest of our time here. Just the idea that um, he expressed that he, he finally uh, kind of felt what it was like to stand on that firm foundation. Did you know that in uh, sort of traditional liturgic church, which you know we're not necessarily a part of in this tradition, but today is Reformation Sunday. And uh, so for some of you that don't know what that means, um, um, there was a guy named Martin Luther, and most of us know Martin Luther King, you know, Jr. a little bit better, but Martin Luther was, uh, he was a pastor of a Catholic church in Germany, and he decided that uh, they'd kind of wandered away from grace, true grace. And so uh, he, uh, he kind of stepped out and said, hey, you know, we've, we need to understand God's grace. So we already sang a song today uh, about Jesus Christ, right? Christ alone, cornerstone. That's what the Reformation was about. 
And so it's kind of cool that we, we're celebrating today with uh, churches around the world on this very significant Sunday. And now, uh, of course, Pastor Peter and, and the team are coming back next week. That's going to be great. And who knows, maybe they're watching online, so I'm going to say like, uh, Buenos dias, uh, Padre Petra. <laughs> sorry, <laughs> sorry if that. If you actually speak Spanish, I just butchered that, so my, my fault. But hey, it's so great that they're going to be come, coming back. And uh, just uh, several weeks ago, uh, Pastor Peter started this series. And some of you that have been here, if you haven't, uh, I watched online and really enjoyed it. But it's about the idea that Jesus, in his sermon, his very famous Sermon on the Mount, said, now if you hear what I'm saying and, and if you practice it, if you live it out, it's going to be like you're building a house on a, on a rock, on a firm foundation. But if you don't, it's, it's like building your life or, or your house, you know, on sand. And I don't know if you remember, but Pastor Peter had a little sand castle up here and poured some water over it and the thing dissolved. What a powerful uh, picture that was. And he stood on a, a cinder block, you know, and talked about being on the rock. So, you know, he painted a bunch of great pictures. Today I want to talk about uh, a, a person in the old part of the Bible, in the Old Testament, that displays uh, what Jesus was talking about. Uh, because really, when you know what the right thing to do is, and you do it, that's called obedience. That's what it's called. And uh, so that really we want to take a look at uh, why would Jesus be encouraging obedience and how does that work? Um, so uh, let me look at a creature, first of all, that we focus on when we think about the word obedience. How many of you have a dog? Anybody? Okay, look at how many dog owners we have in here. Incredible. Did you know that just last month was National Dog Day, you know, it was like, it's been around for a while, National Dog Day. Don't worry, there's also National Cat Day, so that's, you know, fair enough. But National Dog Day was so fun because uh, most of us have some kind of a canine, you know, friend in the history of our lives if we don't have one right now. It got me to thinking of my favorite, um, well, South Puget Sound dog riddle, right? You know, because we live in, you know, around the ocean, and so it's kind of cool. So here's, here's what I think. Uh, what's similar about a dog and a marine biologist well, a dog wags his tail, and a marine biologist tags a whale. Okay, that's super dad joke. Okay, but some of you are going to try to remember that later. Um, then my, uh, my favorite, uh, you know, dog walks into a bar joke. You got to have one of those. Dog walks into a bar and, uh, and says to the bartender, hey, I'm a talking dog. Have you ever seen one? And the bartender goes, no. He goes, isn't this amazing? He goes, yeah. He goes, can I get a drink? And the bartender says, uh, well, the bathroom's around to the right there. Come on, that is a great dog joke. That's my favorite dog walks into a bar joke. Okay, what, anyway, you're thinking, what, what does this have to do with anything? Hang on, okay. This is not exclusively about dogs today, but it's going to come up again in a minute. Because, see, dogs are, are, are one of the only creatures that we have structured obedience classes for. You know, whenever you go to a, uh, the pet store to buy some dog food or, or you, you, know, you go to any kind of place, you see these classes. Well, I have actually participated in one of those classes, and I'll tell you about that in a little while. But I want, you to, to, I want to talk to you about a, a figure in the Old Testament. Some of you know that the Bible is divided into two major parts, old part, new part. The old part is primarily about the country of Israel, which is in the news a lot, right? And the new part is primarily about an Israeli named Jesus and the impact he had on that part of the world at that time. So, so you can see that it's important. Both parts are important. Well, there's a, a, an individual who's a key figure in the old part of the Bible, and his name is Daniel. And he's a great example of someone who built his house or his life on a solid foundation. He was obedient to who God was and to who we understand God to be. So I want to just take a quick look at him. And so some of you, you know, you're new to the Bible. That's cool. No problem. But I grew up in church. And so I know that the very beginning of the Bible is the table of contents. 
And the very last book in the Bible is the maps, right? So I, I, was, a, I was that kid, you know, who would always be looking through the Bible uh, my whole life. And so I wanted to, I want to help you with a little bit of context. I'll go fast, though, because not everybody likes seminary, you know, but here, you know, here goes. I get a kick out of this. I have a laser pointer, okay? So I want to show you, first of all, many of you, you know, are, are like right now, maybe you're seeing maps of Israel on the news and you're thinking, oh, wow, I didn't even realize what the geography was. But this has been an amazing uh, uh, you know, piece of real estate for years and years. And what's interesting about it is that a thousand years before Jesus, okay, so now almost over 3,000 years from us, there was a, a leader in Israel and his name was David. He was, the, he was a king. He wasn't the first king, but he was the best king. And he uh, was a, the best military leader, the best political leader, the best religious leader in all of Israel's history. And he united the entire kingdom. This whole area was all one country, you know, and David, that's why the Bible says that someday there's going to come another king who's going to sit in David's throne. And, you know, he's the Messiah. He's the promised one because he's going to unify. That's the whole idea behind that. Well, after David passed away, his son Solomon ruled this united country. As soon as Solomon died, boom, taxes, all kinds of issues came up. And this country was split in two. So this is called the divided kingdom. It's important to know that, okay? Because what happened was the top part here, which is called Israel, and the bottom part, which is called Judah, okay? So we sang a song this morning, the Lion of Judah. Okay, you already sang that. You might be thinking, I didn't even know what I was talking about there, right? But you're talking about, you know, this leader from this part of, you know, the, the historic Israel, the Lion of Judah. That's descriptive of David's kingdom and also who Jesus is. So, you know, very important stuff. Here's why I'm showing you this. The, the northern kingdom got taken hostage by a, a group of people from Assyria. They just trashed the whole north and took everybody away. The southern kingdom got trashed by a group of people from Babylon, which is now modern-day Iraq, and they got taken away. Well, it was out of the southern, out of Judah, uh, some of the guys that got taken hostage, we know about them because they're in the Bible. Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of you Bible students know that. that. That was actually the names that the Babylonians gave them. Their names were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So you can understand that when they got their names changed, some of them were like, oh, I like my original name, except for maybe Michelle. He's like, hey, I kind of want another name, right? So I don't know. Uh, but they were Israelis, and they had Israeli names. When they went to Babylon, they put them into Chaldean Community College, and they made them, you know, kind of want to turn them into Babylonians, and they gave them new names. And those are the names most of us have, have kind of memorized. Well, these guys were really amazing. And if you read the book of Daniel, which is in the old part of the Bible, phenomenal uh, adventure about uh, what happened. But I think it's important that you need to know what happened historically. Like, they were in the south. They got taken captive, right? Now, next thing. Oh, you're going to love this. Chart. It's time for the chart. Okay, here we go. Look at this chart. This is awesome. What I want you to see is some of you that know the Bible, you recognize this guy, Jeremiah. Jeremiah is an old preacher, and he was constantly saying to Israel, you can see this is a timeline right here. So there's Judah, kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah is saying, you guys better straighten up. We're in big trouble here. There's going to be a foreign power that's going to come in. And even Jeremiah even prophesied, whoever the king is just needs to give up. And just give up and, you know, and then they won't destroy the city of Jerusalem where the temple is and all that. Guess what? They didn't listen to Jeremiah. They didn't give up. They, they tried to defend the city. The, the city, you know, was put under siege and the entire city was destroyed. And the Babylonians took 
all these Israelis, you know, uh, captive, right? So that's what happened. Well, Jeremiah had been telling them, you're going to be captive for 70 years. And sure enough, there it is. So this guy named Nebuchadnezzar, who was the leader of Babylon, he had his armies come in. Almost nobody names their kid Nebuchadnezzar because of this. You know, he was like a, he was a very bad guy. So you can see what I'm saying, though. Jeremiah's preaching, and guess what? This kid is born during his, you know, his ministry. His name is Daniel, and he's one of the guys who got, who got uh, taken away. Well, what I want you to see in this whole chart is that, look at Daniel's life. It went from here to here. He, he was in that foreign country through four different emperors, Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, and then Darius, and then Cyrus. So he, he was there. He never came back. But at the end of the 70 years, you can see rebuilding here, he was given permission. Uh, well, I mean, the Israelis were given permission to return. And some of you know that story, and Nehemiah, and all the people that built the walls, all that stuff. Okay, but I just wanted you to see what the deal was with Daniel, like his, where he was in life during the history of Israel, okay? Then the last thing, and then we'll get back, you know, to uh, away from you know, me spending all my time in the maps, but uh, I think it's important that you see this last map. So when, when uh, the Babylonians were running the show, okay, next map, thank you, forward, there we go, look at Babylonians, see here, Nebuchadnezzar, okay, modern day Iraq, this is how big their territory was, there's the Middle East, right, I mean, there's Israel, you know, and look at, they, they had the whole chunk, the fertile crescent, this very important part of the earth, but look at this, once the Medes and the Persians showed up, look at how much territory they had, this is where Daniel was in charge. He was the leader for Darius and Cyrus, and, and he was running the affairs of this huge part of the world. And I think it's important for us to know that, to see the scope of the responsibility that Daniel had. Okay? So when we look at this, uh, most of you know this, uh, even if you haven't read the Bible much, you know that there's some very interesting things that happened to Daniel. One of them was a, a little episode called Daniel in the... Yeah, the Daniel and the lion's den. Even if we have friends who don't know the Bible, they know like David and Goliath and Daniel and the lion's den, right? Well, what happened was, you know, all these guys, they, they, were, they saw Daniel being a leader and, you know, was really uh, respected by, you know, the emperor, especially Darius. And so they got mad and they said, hey, what's this foreigner doing, you know, in charge of stuff? Like, he's not one of us. You know, he's one of the others. We got we to get him. So they tried to find some dirt. The Bible says they could find no dirt on Daniel. They couldn't find anything that he'd done, you know, to indict him for anything. Uh, that's unusual nowadays, right? And uh, so what happens is they said, like, let's make a new rule that, he, that, you know, he won't comply to because he's building his life on this firm foundation, you know, of, of faith in his God, the Israeli God. Let's, let's have Darius make a, a law. And so they talked King Darius, you know, they kind of buttered him up. And here's, here's what the, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 6. He says, you know, to, to the king, listen, make sure nobody prays except for to you. Like you're the God of this, you know, particular domain. Like don't let any of your people pray to, to, to any God or any human except for you. And of course the king's like, well... Now that you mention it, I mean, you know, I mean, like it kind of buttered him up. And also they, it was a very normal thing for them to deify, you know, or to make the leader into a God, you know? And so everybody was like, you know, oh, the leader is, you know, guess what? We still do it. But, you know, anyway, uh, so here's what happens. They say, Darius, you know, pass this law, man. And if they do, if somebody prays to anyone but you, what are they going to do? Throw them to the lions. 
And Darius, uh, you know, he didn't really think it through because he really liked Daniel, but the Bible says he signed it and it was irrevocable. There was no way he could, he could you, know, uh, you know, amend it or anything. That's just the way it works in that day. And so all of a sudden, they, they kind of kept an eye on Daniel. And you know what Daniel kept doing? Kept praying. Kept praying to God. And so they caught him and they said, hey, he's in violation of the law. Boom, lion's den. We kind of know that story. And then what we know is that... Uh, you know, we want to ask ourselves, why would Daniel not, you know, just sort of take a break from praying, you know, and keep himself out of trouble, right? Well, guess what? You got to know a little bit about uh, the history of Israel. How many of you know that back in the day in Israel's history, there was this major leader, his name is Moses. You ever heard of that guy? Yeah, so that's Motown, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's when Moses was in charge, and he, when he was talking to God, and God brought him the Ten Commandments. You've heard of that, right? The Ten Commandments. Well, these are like, these are, you know, ethical behaviors that describe what you look like when you honor God. And the number one commandment for all Israeli people, for the history, you know, of this country that dates way back from Daniel, like, is, what's the number one commandment? Anybody remember it? Hmm? There we go. And I sort of paraphrased it, like, hey, don't put any other gods in place of God. That's the number one. And then it goes on to say, no graven images, you know, no idols, no icons, you know, no representations. I mean, you know, it's, that's the very first commandment. So Daniel's not going to rethink it and like, you know, well, let me see if there's any, you know, he's like, no, I'm, I'm totally committed to God and I'm not going to put any other God before him. That's the number one command. And so we know what happened. He gets tossed in the lion's den. Now, uh, we also, most of us know the story, you know, he was protected, the Bible says, by angels. So, uh, you know, God sent angels to, to put him, you know, in safe, a safe place where there was Daniel, the angels, and then the lions, right? Well, one of my favorite paintings, I love looking at paintings of artists that, you know, try to help us imagine what was happening. But this is a French painter in the mid-1800s. Uh, he was actually a Huguenot, which is, is a certain version of French Christianity at the time, and uh, he, he was, his name was Breton Rivere, and I always love his stuff because he, you know, he kind of has a way of helping me see what might have been happening, but in this particular painting, this is how he pictured Daniel. Well, I like this because you, if you look up, Google it up, you know, Daniel in the lion's den, Google, try to see pictures. A lot of them have Daniel like a young guy, you know, like guy, you know, works out at the gym, you know, young guy. Guess what? Daniel was old. Daniel, the Bible said, was, you know, in his 80s. Anybody can relate? Okay, so, so here he is. Well, I like what, how Rivera did it. He showed him as this old guy. And this is the moment he tried to capture was in the morning when King Darius yells down and says, Daniel. He actually, actually what the Bible says is uh, the king said, Daniel, servant of the most high God. Even the king himself was like, it's a joke to pray to me. What are you doing? I know that you're the servant of the most high God. And of course, Daniel calls back, I'm fine. God sent his angels to protect me, right? That's, this is the moment that Rivera tried to capture for us. And what I love about this is, you know, here he is, he's looking up, he's talking to the king, he's bathed in light, right? But here's what I love about it. He's not even looking at the lions anymore. You know that when he first went in there, I mean, my imagination is when he first went in the lion's den, he's kind of like not turning his back on the lions, right? He's like, oh, man. That guy looks, uh, I don't know about that guy, you know, like, and, and you know, be kind of nerve-wracking, but over the course of the night when he saw that God was protecting him, right, and that he was in a safe space, by the time he got to the morning, turn his back 
on the lions. And he's talking to the king. And I thought, wow, you know what? As over time, as we trust God, we're able to just turn our back on all the things that are, you know, just so, so pressing in so many people's lives and just look at the king and, and, you know, testify with our lives and just say, hey, look, yeah, I was uptight. I'm not uptight. I've learned that God is faithful. This, I love this. That's why I like this painting. So one of the things I wanted to observe is that uh, there, are, there are several things we can learn from Daniel. And I hope that, you know, if you've never read Daniel, uh, maybe you want to check it out this week. If you don't have a Bible, I always recommend checking into a hotel. There's always one in the bedside table right there. You know. uh, but anyway, the thing is, there's, there's a lot of things we can learn. But I want to mention just three quick things. And the reason I'm doing three is because if you're a pastor, you have to do three things. It's just like how it goes, you know, somebody goes. Uh, but anyway, the first one is quiet obedience. This is what we notice about Daniel and his ability to obey God in, in, in a really difficult circumstance, right? He, he didn't make a big scene. It, there's never a mention of Daniel uh, getting a petition and having everyone sign it or, you know, making posters or having a protest or screaming and yelling. Like Daniel is just quietly obedient to God. In fact, if you want to read Daniel, a lot of times, even earlier in his life, when they said, you got to eat the king's food, and Daniel's like, well, I'm really a plant-based guy, you know, I mean, so, but he didn't, you know, go off and say, well, you could tell the king to stick his food, you know, I mean, he, he didn't do that. He didn't have that attitude. He actually said, um, he asked permission, would it be all right if we just ate our plant-based diet, you know, that, you know, we've committed ourselves to. And after 10 days, if, if things, you know, aren't good, then, you know, we can adjust. And he was very diplomatic. And one of the things about Daniel, he was the ultimate diplomat. He was always asking permission, always considering others. He had a quiet obedience. And I just think in our present day and age, there's something, uh, somehow we have become enamored with volume. And it's not that awesome. You know, just the loudest people are, are maybe not, you know, the best examples of what it means to obey God. There's something about quiet obedience, about, about just going through life and saying, I believe that God is who he said he was. I'm standing on that, you know, and not making some big deal out of it, you know, or, or trying to post it every 30 seconds on Instagram or something, right? The thing is that even though he was quiet, his second thing is that he was influential. Guess what? Darius, the king who kind of wrote the decree and then thought, oh, what did I do? And then said, man, I'm sorry I did that. And, you know, and he, he reached out to Daniel. He was converted. He actually became devoted to the God of Israel because of Daniel. His influence was remarkable. Even though he had a quiet obedience, he was strongly influential. And guess what? Because Darius understood who Daniel was, his, the guy that followed him, you know, which was Cyrus, he let the Jews go home. They trace that right to the fact that he had this influence, you know, as someone, you know, who was living a quietly obedient life. I love that. And that's how God uses our lives, too. You know, sometimes we think, well, I'm not some guy with a microphone, you know, six feet above contradiction, you know, telling stories. Like, because sometimes we think, we sort of elevate people that we think are like preachers or people or whatever, spiritual, you know, or like popes with the hat and all that. Well, guess what? God uses your life your quiet obedience is so influential. How many times have you ever had somebody say, just walk up to you and say, hey, I, I really appreciate something, you know, something, and you're thinking like, what? And people were watching you, you know? You drove to church today, you know, and people are looking out the window, there you go to church again, you know? I mean, they're, they're, people are watching. 
They're, they're figuring stuff out. And you and I have, God puts a quiet, obedient, and an influence in who we are as we live our lives out. And uh, so I think that's important to observe about Daniel. And then the last thing is pretty cool, which I already mentioned. Uh, he was standing on this foundation of who God was, and it ultimately was restorative. It, the, the Israeli nation was able to return, and they were able to restore, well, to this day, you know, that part of the world. And so I think it's important for us to remember that some of us, you know, we have a concern about things that have fallen apart, things that have, you know, that used to be that aren't. And God is the great restorer, you know? Like my dad was my pastor when I was a kid out in the middle of eastern Washington, you know? And, uh, and you know, he used to sort of have favorite Bible verses. But one of the verses he always used to say is I would say, Dad, what do you think about that? You know what? It, that doesn't seem fair. You know, this seems like a good person. Something bad happened to him. And my dad would always say, the beginning of wisdom is to believe that God is and to believe he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God knows how to restore. God knows how to reward. God knows how to make it up. And, you know, and God goes ahead. I was reading this last week. I was so amazed. Many of you remember this story. And Jesus, he meets this woman at the well, right? Samaritan woman at the well. That's kind of a famous story of Jesus' life. When I was reading that, I saw all of a sudden it said Jesus had been walking, was tired, and he sat down by this well. And then it says the woman showed up, you know, to draw water. And God is waiting for her. And I started thinking, you know what? That's a lot of times I've been told as a kid, you got to, you know, wait for God. Just wait. God's waiting for me. I've been places where I thought, well, oh, here I go. I'm going to be in the hospital now. Guess what? God was waiting for me. He was. I mean, I got a friend who had never had a traffic ticket and ended up in prison for a year, and he was very uptight about that. And I was writing him letters while he was in there, and here's what he said to me in a letter. God is in here. God was waiting for me. He goes, I, I've never grown so much in my spiritual life. You know, I mean, there was, I'm just telling you that God knows how to plan ahead and he is already where you're going to be because God knows how to restore. God uses influence through our lives to others as we're quietly obedient. Now, let me finish up with my, with my last, you know, explanation is why I, I was talking about dogs earlier. Okay, so we had this little dog, most disobedient dog in the planet. It was called a Cairn Terrier. I don't know if you know what kind of dog that is. That's Toto on the Wizard of Oz. That's, a, that's about this big. So I'm thinking this dog is just a, a small furball of destruction. So we thought we got to get this dog to obey us. This dog would not listen to anything we said. I mean, I'd, I'd call his name Roscoe. That was his name. Uh, that's the reason I said it. Uh, and, uh, and anyway, he, he would just, he, he didn't care. He'd be like, I'm doing something, you know, whatever. And so we took him to obedience class. So I signed him up for class. And here's what the instructor told me. Get a choke chain. Get a choke chain and a 10-foot leather leash and, you know, show up on this. You know, there's 10 classes. So I got this choke chain. You know, some of you know what these are like. They're, most people don't use these anymore because they figured out that they're, like, cruel, you know. But I didn't know. So I put this, I put this on, on the dog, and I just start choking him, choking him, choking him, you know. <laughs> Because I'm thinking it's, it's called a choke chain, right? So I'm thinking, you're going to obey me, you know, by the time, you know. And, and I'm, I'm choking the dog, and, you know, and, and, and I'm saying, like, get over here, get out of here. And I'm choking the dog. We haven't even started the class yet. 
And here's what I found out. It's like, um, by the time we got going in the class, you know, I mean, we, the guy was just saying hello. The dog is choking himself. Because he's like, you're crazy. I got to get out of here. And the further he got from me, the more he choked. And I how you like that? So here he is talking to these people with these dogs. And my dog's over there going, ah, ah, you know, like. So the instructor walks up to me before the class has actually started. And he goes, you got to get rid of the choke chain. I'm like, what? I just got it. I go, this is the first time I've really affectionately choked him that much, you know? I mean, like, I, I was kind of getting a kick out of choking him because he'd been, he's been so rebellious, you know, that I thought, you know, I'm going to, and he goes, you know what? You've abused the choke chain. He goes, the choke chain is just supposed to be to kind of identify a boundary, but you have choked him. You've overchoked him. And now he's choking himself. He's, you know, he's completely confused. And I go, what am I supposed to do? He goes, here's what you're going to do. He said, you're going you're gonna to have to get him right where you want, and you're going to have to pet him. When you walk around, you got to keep petting him. And then every once in a while, when he's right where you want, you can kind of stop petting him, but you got to keep talking to him. Good boy, attaboy, Roscoe, looking good, looking good. And then once he starts to wander off, stop talking. I'm thinking, I don't know if that's going to work. But guess what? He graduated from that class, right? I mean, he did all this stuff, and that's how I trained him, was just telling him he's a good boy, telling him he's, and then when he started wandering off, I stopped talking. He'd realize it, and he'd come back over, and I'd start talking to him again. You know what I found out? I'm driving home from that first class, and I'm thinking, wow, that was an interesting, you know, class. And I felt like this idea came to me, which I think it was kind of like from God, because it was too smart to be me. And I kind of got this idea, you're that dog. Because that's how I was raised. See, I was raised... My understanding of obey, obedience was that God's going to choke you into submission. You, you better not. You better not step out of line. You're going to get cancer or a car wreck or something. And that's how people explain the world to me. You hear about that guy and what happened to him? Yeah, well, it figures because, you know, you know. And I'm thinking, okay. <laughs> you know, and I'm, I'm afraid. Pretty soon, I started trying to, how can I build a relationship with a God like that that's getting ready to throw up? you know, a lightning bolt at me at any moment, right? So then I started choking myself. And I realized when I look at Daniel's life, Daniel didn't understand God in that way. He, Don, Daniel wasn't thinking, that, hey man, you know, you know, I make it throw in the lion's den, you know, I wonder if God, what's God trying to do? No, you know what Daniel realized? The reason I'm going to build my life on a strong foundation, the reason I'm going to believe who God is, is because when I'm close to him, I hear his voice. And when I wander off, yeah, I wander off. I can't hear him anymore. And what they said to Daniel was, you cannot hear from God anymore. You can only pray to the king. And Daniel said, no. That's why I walk with God is to hear from him. I'm not afraid he's going to choke me. Not going to hurt me. Not going to give me some disaster. I'm going to give myself that stuff, <laughs> usually. But God speaks. That's one of the things we learn from the Bible is that God speaks to his people. And if you know anything about Daniel, and if you don't, I'm saying you should read about it. God spoke to Daniel. The king had a weird dream. God went to, you know, Daniel said, God, what, what, what do you, God spoke to him. Tell him this is what the dream's about. And he told him, I mean, God spoke to Daniel. And he lived a life on a strong foundation, not because of fear, but he was quietly obedient and influential and was part of the restoration of, of his part of the world at the time because he understood God wants to speak. That's why I walk with him. And that's why 
I don't know where you're at today. I don't know how you grew up. You know, I don't know if, you know, if, if everything's brand new to you or not. There's a pretty good chance that this story about how God's, you know, you know he's going to get you if you step out of line, that's kind of it's still alive and well. And I just want to encourage you today to realize that when Jesus said, listen, if you hear these words of mine and you practice them, you're going to keep hearing. You're going to keep hearing. You're going to keep, God's going to continue to speak. You know, and not in a weird way, like, you know, God spoke to me, you know, like, no, but like, you know, we're, you know, when people say God spoke to me, I think, uh, wow, you're more spiritual than me, you know, but you know what people are saying is like, I got this idea, but it, it was like kind of too smart to be me. And then I said, never mind, And I got it again. And I thought, ah, and then I got it again. And I said, ah, I'm not going to think about that anymore. And the next day I thought of it again. And I'm thinking, is this God doing something here? You know what I'm saying? You know, this is how I've learned to, to understand who God is. Coincidence to my benefit. Coincidence to my benefit, where I go like, wow, isn't that a coincidence that I would talk to that person and, I, and they had all that same, that's really weird, to my benefit. Anytime there's a coincidence, you think, wow, this is a coincidence, but it benefits you, you got to ask yourself, this could be God you know, directing my life. This could be, I could be hearing from God, not in a weird way, but in a real way. And then, of course, I like what, you know, what the testimony was today, you know, on our video, because he said, you know how I know? Because I can see now. Most of us can tell about God's activity in our life when we look back and when we look forward, we're like, you know, but we could see. God has spoken. He has. So let me pray for you today. God, I thank you for everyone here. I thank you for um, the opportunity to be together. And even though I could see where everyone's seated in this room, you know where everyone lives. You know our lives. You, you see us. And I pray, God, that you would help us to understand that to live our life and to build our house on the rock, Christ alone, the cornerstone, that we would, we would realize that it's not an exercise in dodging some kind of punishment, but it's an invitation to hear what you want to say to us, how you want to help us, how you want to create influence in our lives and make us agents of restoration. So we thank you for that today. And uh, we don't take for granted that we got to gather and we got to sing songs and pray prayers and, and once again hear about your faithfulness. We really appreciate it. And... Uh, and if we, if we can do it again, we will. But until then, uh, we thank you that you go with us wherever we go and that you talk to us and that you speak to us. And I pray that we would, um, we would notice that when we wander off, we're not hearing you. And that would be what brings us back. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Could you stand with me? Um, Thanks a lot for your uh, patience and all the maps and all that stuff. <laughs> so but I, love, I love being a part of the teaching team here, even though it's only once in a while. But God bless you. Have a great day. Okay.